You know, and even thinking about the divisions of labor in the warehouses, right? Of like, what does it mean to be a stower or a picker or a packer, right? These kinds of things. Uh, everything you just got at as well, Ed, really speaks to this idea that the Amazon warehouses are like, they're managed in a way that is designed to be dehumanizing and anti-human, right? They're designed according to this like, uh, this highly computational um, algorithmic, datafied rationality that's like by design uh, illegible to the people actually working in the warehouses as a way to dispossess them of any knowledge uh, of, of the operations, dispossess them of any ability to, um, you know, exercise autonomy or perhaps threaten the operations of the warehouse because they don't, it's just one big black box, right? It's just one big black box. I kind of want to start with this. You know, if we think about, you know, we imagine a modern day uh, Dante's Inferno, right? And as we're descending deeper into the levels of hell, the, you know, this, this hellish landscape of capitalism, the Amazon warehouse would absolutely be a stop on the tour through the inferno of capitalism. And I wrote up, um, this is actually from, from my book, uh, a little passage that like, you know, based on uh, my reading a lot of reporting, a lot of insider stuff, a lot of like uh, the, you know, Amazon's own materials right around their warehouses. Like I wrote up this, this little description of the warehouse. I kind of want to start off by just reading that. And, and I think that will set the, the, the landscape for this tour through the Amazon warehouse, our little virtual tour. So I'll start off. The warehouse is a colossal cavernous concrete structure. Inside are multiple floors filled with endless rows of shelves. Conveyor belts cut through the warehouse carrying boxes to different stations. If you work in one of the warehouses outfitted with Kiva Robotics, then a section of the warehouse will be a human exclusion zone where a swarm of robotic platforms move shelves around in a networked choreography. This zone is dark, quiet and off limits. Any human who gets in the way could be seriously injured and perhaps more importantly for Amazon's bottom line, disrupt the system's careful coordination. Descriptions of the human exclusion zones have a Lovecraftian vibe. It's the surreal horror of an abyss where unpredictable robots reign, occasionally emerging from the darkness only to recede back into the quiet swarm. Depending on the season, the warehouse is either sweltering or freezing. The large loading bay doors are kept shut for fear of employees stealing items. The same fear means that everybody is searched airport style before going to the cafeteria, toilets, or leaving for the day, waiting in security lines for as long as 30 minutes without pay. Thousands of workers dash around the warehouse, never pausing for a second, always in motion like sharks that might die if they stopped. Many pick things off shelves, while others pack things into boxes. The warehouse is eerily silent as the pickers, packers, and stockers robotically complete their task. Talking is not prohibited, but it is discouraged, and it takes energy, breath, and time to chat with coworkers. These are scarce resources when the speed to complete each task is measured in seconds. That is the landscape, right? That is the setting of the Amazon warehouse. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful hellhole, right? When people should be scared. People should, you know, it reminds me of um, 
this Amazon worker who said um, working at Amazon is like living in hell and then proceeded to burn down the warehouse. You know, that's um, that's what, you know, when I see descriptions of the working conditions, you know, like in your book, but also I think, you know, there's this piece by um, Sam Adler uh, Bell on, it's called, you know, Surviving Amazon. And he talks mm. about the resistance um, it's in Logic Magazine. He talks about the resistance that Amazon workers, you know, small and large do to survive. And, you know, one thing is referenced is this uh, really interesting memoir I encourage everyone to read by uh, Heike Gessler. All right. And she's, you know, like becomes a seasonal worker at, at Amazon in Germany. And it, you know, it, she's, a, she's a bit like a poet. And, it, and this memoir is a really interesting look into how it is. Um, to work there and the way in which it dehumanizes you, as you were talking about, and the ways in which you kind of get lost um, and and dissociate and dissociate and 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 try to survive, right? And you know, she, for example, talks about you know the way in which there were interesting tactics like uh, you know hiding products so that you could you know she says quote remove them from the commodity cycle. You could damage products or pretend that they arrived that way. Or you could damage them subtly so that it's only revealed once they get to the customer. And in fact, by the end of the book, Adler Bell talks, uh, points out, you know, that uh, her boyfriend receives a package that's sabotaged in that same exact way. You know, but, you know, everything gets caught. And that introduces a really interesting dynamic where everything gets caught because of how, you know, expansive the surveillance is. But the act of doing so, the act of individual resistance is, uh, as he writes, a means of asserting one's humanity against a system elaborately designed to blot it out. And uh, connects this back to what's called uh, weapons of the week, right? This idea that, you know, relatively powerless people and groups can and do contest oppression, subjugation, even if the people dominating them are immensely more powerful Right. There's this study he references is a James C. Scott's study of a Malaysian peasant resistance. Right. Weapons of the Week is the name of it. And it also talks about the way in which, you know, people resist. You know, they can resist by foot dragging and dissimulation, but they can also desert. They can f- pretend to comply with orders. They can steal. They can pretend that they're stupid. They can use whisper networks and slander someone. They can straight up uh, burn down buildings and do arson or sabotage, you know, Um, one of TMK's favorite um, activities. All of these, I think, apply, you know, Amazon in that kind of like a sidebar from our discussion of like the technology and the labor process. But I think also like an important thing, as we'll talk about, is like the way in which the workers, as they're being dehumanized and crushed and made into this blob or this machine or this Taylorist ideal, uh, they still are human, right? You can't get, you can't really crush that out of them, not legally. I mean, like Amazon could, if it could do more shit that's illegal. I mean, because you know, states and, and torture experts, I'm sure you know they'd be able to do that. But Amazon can't, so there is a limit to it, and that limit is the point at which people will resist and wield weapons of the weak. Yeah, and so much of the way Amazon organizes its warehouses. Yeah, obviously that you know there's a rationality to it, right? Like it's 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 organizing it for maximum efficiency, for for squeezing the most productivity and energy out of its workers. Mm-hmm. But in like reading descriptions of the labor processes in the warehouses as well, it really does seem like uh, a lot of the 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 practices Amazon uses are also designed to try to minimize 
those kinds of weapons of the week that you describe, right? Like, you know, capital is well aware and 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 afraid of the potential not 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 just militancy of labor, but like any kind of restlessness of labor, right? Any kind of resistance by labor, and it works really hard to minimize that uh, in in various ways.